Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode um, episode eight. Grace, Is again, it? you are joining me on anniversary week. It's like we meet up every month online to have a little oh, bit of a celebration. God. Fancy that, eh? Yeah, exactly. So, yes, yeah, so anyone that's tuned in, tuned in, press download yeah. or just play yeah. on one of the streaming services. This is Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles, which is your weekly music trivia that's not factually correct podcast with a yeah. little bit of new music. Yeah. I think that I think sums that's up. a fair assessment. Yeah. I think I'm getting better at explaining it in a really concise, accurate. concise way. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm Angela from the band Bug Eye, and this week I've got Grace from the band with me. Hello, everyone. Yeah. So also for people that don't know, there's four people in Bug Eye, but because we like to talk over each other, we've we've only allowed like two of us on the show. At, <laughs> only at two once. of us allowed to talk to each other at a time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. In all circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't, we don't want any sort of, you know, mutineering or anything like that in the band. So no. if you keep it kind of... Yeah, <laughs> to two people any one time. Silence says everything about what I just said. <laughs> Sorry, Angela. I was racking my brains, but yeah. <laughs> I had nothing. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all right. Um, so this week, I'm going to be covering the story of Robert Leroy Johnson. Ooh. Devil at the Crossroads. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited to hear about this. Actually, do you, do you know anything about it? Absolutely nothing. That's um, good. Yeah, so that'll be very interesting for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then also, but just just because if people haven't heard of him, they might go, "Me, I'm not going to stay listening." Just to let you know, there there is like it's it's basically the man who sold his soul to the devil. Oh. One of them. There's been a few. But, yeah, um, there's been quite a few to be fair, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> but this is this is <laughs> yeah, it's just it happens every week. God, who's it this time? Oh, uh, bug eye. No, <laughs> um, and I'll be playing new music from a band called Cruel Hearts Club. So, who are you covering this week, Grace? So, I'm going to talk about Sister Rosetta Tharp. Oh, good one, good one. Which I'm really excited to talk about. Um, and my new music for this week are the Baby Seals, oh, who love I believe them. we've played with before, so you'll know them, Angela. Yeah, yeah, big, big fan. We played with them last year at the Lady Luck Bar in Canterbury, didn't we? Yeah, that yeah. was a great gig. They were good. Yeah. They are really good. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about them as well. Yes, cool. Well, I I think we should jump into one of the stories, but... Um, First of all, I just wanted to say I st- I haven't I haven't watched the Tiger thing yet on Netflix, Grace. I know it was a recommendation. I started, and yeah. then and then Beth just was just yeah. It was I don't know what. Well, I was trying to watch it while I was making Beth dinner, and that's just not. No, you not have to work. give it your full attention, Angela. You really have to let yourself get involved. And did you really adopt a tiger after watching it? Hand on heart. As soon as it finished, I was like, I, I couldn't forget about those little tigers' faces. Yeah. 
And I just thought, I'm going to have to, and how am I going to get rid of this guilt? <laughs> because, I mean, I don't know what happens in this, but, uh, you know, obviously this guy that's got like a billion tigers, we have no spoilers, that's like in the first episode. But has yeah. he now started a new line of business of soft, cuddly toys of tigers where you think you're he, adopting a tiger? He may well have, yeah. yeah. He may well have. It wouldn't surprise me. The twists and turns in that series is unbelievable. So it wouldn't surprise me. But yes, I did. I adopted a tiger. I don't regret it. <laughs> Has the tiger written to you yet? <laughs> Not yet, no. Still waiting for the letter. Um, I assume it's coming. The post is a bit delayed at the minute, isn't yeah. it? So I, assume, I mean, can, I assume can tigers write? I mean, you know, should you really be, you know, funding cruelty to animals of making them write you letters, Grace? Probably not. Um, but I think when you weigh it all up, I've done the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, honestly. What, just just watch it. Please watch all it. Right, okay. It's brilliant. Okay. Well, I think last time we were on the show together, I went first. Do you want to go first? I can Stan. go first, yeah. yeah? I, think, yeah. I think go for it, Grace. Oh, come on, let's go for it. Right, so do you want me to start with Sister Rosetta? Yeah, yeah, we could, or, or we could start with some new music, actually. Oh, what do you then, think? Do I don't know. Up to you. Flip a coin. No, go on. Let's do. Let's start with some new music. All right. Okay. Right. So, hit me up. Go on. So today I'm going to be uh, playing the Baby Seals. So they're a punk band from Cambridge. I think is their hometown. Can you um, also sponsor them? Being Baby Seals. You probably can, yeah. I'll look into that. Um, yeah, so we played with them last year at Lady Luck. Brilliant gig. Um, really nice bunch of people. The crowd absolutely loved them, if I remember. They played some really, really well-written songs. Their lyrics are great. Um, I don't know if you've heard this one, Angela. It's called My Labia's Lopsided, But I Don't Mind. I remember them even playing it live. It's fantastic. All of their tracks are brilliant. I think you can you can order their debut EP from their website for like £7. Do they have any social media links or are you going to talk about that after? Well, they I, I haven't seen much from them on Twitter recently and I couldn't find them on there. Um, so I might be wrong there. So I'll, I'll have to double check with them and we can, we can put their Twitter handle up on the, uh, on the podcast if we, if we need to, but I think they, they're definitely still on Facebook and I think it's at the baby seals. Um, and they've, they've got a website, which I, I think was the baby okay. Um, so yeah, I think they're the best two places to get hold of them. Ooh, they're signed to, um, Trapped Animal Records, who... Yes, I saw that, yeah. yeah. Gemma Freeman, who we played a few weeks back, is also signed to them. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, yeah, they're fantastic. Definitely check them out on Facebook and on their website. Um, you can get to the link to their website through their Facebook. Um, order their EP for online, which is like £7. And they're generously offering a free download of the song that I'm going to play today. Oh, and I love that they describe themselves as Spinal Tap with tits. <laughs> that tells you everything. I feel like that, that that's all you need to know, really, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Okay, cool. Let's Let's hear them. <laughs> Sex and, and not a version of the last time we did I was drunk and I didn't remember anything. Um, but I'm extremely self-conscious of my large behavior. 
Gracie, that was a good one. Thank you. That was the Baby Seals. That's oh, love, love, love that band. And it was just so great seeing them live as well. They they put on epic shows. Um, I suppose you describe them as sort of um, pop punk feminist guitar band. Yeah, um, definitely. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen them play other than when we played with them? I haven't, no, but I know they did a revolving headline tour with Menstrual Cramps and Dream Nails, which is pretty big. Um, yeah. That's a fantastic lineup, Ooh, isn't it? Fact, actually, you just said that. Did you know we've played with all three of those bands? Yeah. Yeah, of course you did, because you were there. <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous thing to have said. <laughs> yes, I did know that, Angela, yeah. <laughs> That's, <laughs> thanks for reminding me. Oh my god, I'm not even drunk. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah. No, that is. I'm very, very proud of that because they're all fantastic bands, yeah. and I'm very honoured to say that I played you, alongside them. Do you think they talk about us in the same way? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> oh. oh dear. Um, right. Okay. You you were going to start with your with with your story this week. The, okay. the story of grace. The story of grace. Right, so, uh, well, I've got an even better story than the story of grace. So this is the story of Sister Rosetta Tharp. So you need to tell me if I'm rambling too much here, Angela, because I was just so, I was just so, like, involved in this story. I've, I've made so many notes. So please, please just stop me. How, how should I stop you? Should I, um, just, I should get a just, bell, shouldn't I? Yeah. Move on, move on. <laughs> So after Kerry did Nina Simone last week, yeah, I realised that she was the first person of colour that we talked about. Ah, well, my 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 story today, I hadn't really thought about that, to be honest, but my story today is also of a person of colour. Ah, well, there you go. Because of that, but, you know... Um, well, yeah. yeah, well, so, yeah, I, I, I listened to the... Uh, episode from last week which was which was very interesting and I thought well I'd like to celebrate another lady of colour this week so I went for Sister Rosetta Tharp perfect which is an excellent choice if you don't mind saying so yourself <laughs> yes nailed um, it so... before you've even done it <laughs> so how, do you know much about her Angela yes you do yeah oh fa- this is great then this so is I'll really be fact good. checking you as you go away, yeah really. you can fact check me please do because uh yeah, I've, I've I've been reading quite a lot about her actually, but please do fact check me because okay. I don't want to get I want to do her justice because she yeah. was she was fabulous, right? So she's often referred to as the godmother of rock and roll, um, and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in two thousand and eighteen, I think, uh, which was surprisingly late. Actually, what a surprise! No, well, yeah, yeah. I say surprisingly, yeah. not really, yeah. but. Um, Extraordinarily talented singer and guitarist. So she influenced Little Richard, Johnny Cash, Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, all the all the big ones. All the big ones. All the big ones. Um so she was kind of like, I guess, the black woman behind white rock and roll. Yeah. Do we say is that fair to yeah, say? I think that's very fair to say. Um but yeah, most of the information I've got on her is from the BBC Four documentary that you can um, view on YouTube at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I would definitely give that a watch because um, there's some really good footage of her 
um well actually no i won't mention that just yet i'll mention it a bit later but yeah it's definitely worth worth checking out okay so she was born in the early 20th century oh, i can't remember the date now um but in cotton plant which is a city is in arkansas okay to parents who were cotton pickers um apparently her dad was a fantastic singer so it's possible that she got her talent from him um go on you were going to chip in then no i was trying not to burp oh <laughs> i just drank Sorry. some wine it went down the wrong way and then suddenly <laughs> yeah, a bit of a burp uh, was coming up it's gone now. yeah okay thank you <laughs> so rosetta's mother was a very traditional person uh, a preacher for the church of god in christ uh, which was founded in 1994 that's definitely from wikipedia um, so encouraged by her mother, she would sing and play guitar at church, which is sort of where her first performances took place. So this is very early 20th century. Okay. Um, so at age six, she joined her mum in a travelling evangelical group. So her mum left her dad to join this group. So it was just the two of them. And they took part in performances that were sort of part sermon, part gospel across okay. the American South. And then they moved to Chicago. So she performed in lots of churches, singing, playing piano, guitar, dancing, basically just charming everyone with her talent. Like she was six years old. So she, she was multi-talented. Yeah. Um, so all throughout her teens, she was taken by her mother from city to city to, to perform in churches. So within the church is really where she sort of developed her talent as a performer. And then eventually she became this nationwide celebrity within the church. Does, is any of this news to you at this point, Angela? No, that is actually kind of... is. Yeah, the early stuff, the early yeah. stuff is. I think, I think quite often, as, that's why I always like doing a bit of a backstory on, mm. on people, because most of the time you only really know a certain segment of, of their, their story, really. And yeah, just, definitely. Yeah. 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 No, her, her entire story is so interesting. So then when she was 19 years old, her mother married her off to a preacher. Oh, hang on. Her uh, mother married her off to a preacher. Yeah. So when she was 19, um, basically, I think the idea for, for the preacher, at least behind this, was that she would draw in the crowds. So, they, they you know, they were, I don't know if there was any sort of genuine affection there between the two of them, but I think mostly it was she would draw in the crowds to the church. Um, and a lot of her friends thought that he primarily wanted her to make money. So she was sort of an accessory to bring more people in. Mm. Mm. So she left him eventually. She had enough and she moved to New York. And her talent was soon noticed over there. So she was offered a spot at the prestigious Cotton Club. Have you heard of that? Yes. So it was a New York City nightclub. From 1923 to 1940. Um, um, I mean, I'm not talking about the Cotton Club in my story, but um, I'd just like to say this is so sweet because I thought you, because when we originally spoke, you were, you were hinting that it was someone in the 60s you were doing. So I thought, I'm going to go the complete opposite direction. So mine's oh, based yeah. in like the 30s. So, oh, yeah, so okay. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's uncanny that you picked one. But, so, because uh, yeah. la last time there was a few uh, parallels there, wasn't there? Do you remember? Just, just shows that we're all connected, Grace. Yeah. Mm. That's why the four of us can never meet together. Again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in 
So yeah, definitely worth checking out the Cotton Club. Um, that was obviously that was a brilliant gig for her. Um, and she discovered through those gigs that she loved both God and nightclubs, which is an interesting mix, and wasn't really allowed, and still isn't really allowed. So she defied convention entirely here by singing in both. So she sang gospel in church and performed in nightclubs, which was... Um, double life. Yeah, double life, really. So... Then in the late 30s, I think it was at 38, she signed with Decca Records, who were mentioned last time. Do you remember? In relation yeah, to Delia Derbyshire. Yeah. Um, so the idea here was that they would capitalise on the gospel singer who has like a racy new style, basically. Um, she started doing risque material. So she would reinterpret religious songs for, I guess, like a secular audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, this hadn't really happened before, but everyone seemed to love it. So some hits to check out from the early period. You've got uh, Rock Me and I Want a Tall Skinny Popper. Don't know if you've heard of those ones, Angela. Yes, I have. Uh, a couple of her early records. So uh, by the age of 25, she was rated among the finest popular musicians of the day. And she jammed with people like Duke Ellington. Really? Yeah. So that I was, didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, so by 25, yeah, that's that's... That's well, brilliant, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, again, like what we, we've we've said previously, that you know, to be a woman in those times, I mean, the fact that okay, so one, her her mother left her husband and went mm-hmm. travelling with her daughter around churches. I mean, yeah. you just didn't really leave your partners back then, so that's well, something. no, exactly. And the fact that you know she was brave enough to pursue such a passion being so close to the church and still going ahead and doing things in nightclubs but also winning the respect exactly um, really unusual case isn't it a record deal and for you know her male peers to to be taking her seriously is is yeah it's really something well yeah rich famous black woman who's essentially Mm. just doing what she wants yeah it, yeah, really unusual. Uh, and I guess she's sort of been described from what I've read and listened to as like gospel's first superstar. Wow. So, yeah, so throughout the 40s, she spent loads of time on the road um, accompanied by different gospel groups. Uh, she was a, always a headliner for the American gospel group, the Dixie Hummingbirds. So this is sort of where it gets interesting because in obviously in like a highly segregated society, black and white musicians performing together was taboo. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that that, I thought that was really interesting. So one of the biggest hits of her career was Strange Things Happening Every Day, um, which actually that song I didn't recognise. Some of the others when I was researching this were familiar to me, but that one I hadn't heard before. Um, But it was sort of recorded when prosperity and freedom were being proclaimed as the right of all Americans. And so, like, she, through that song, was kind of expressing the irony of her situation because she was a star, but she was also black. So, you know, prosperity and freedom didn't apply to her in that same way. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, the documentary goes into a bit about that, and it's, it's really interesting. It's definitely worth listening to. So... She had her own tour bus 
where she slept because she wasn't allowed to stay in some of the hotels. Yeah. So restaurants, hotels, even water fountains were segregated at this time, obviously, around America. So she had to spend most of her time in the tour bus. And when it was time to get like food, the white musicians had to go into the restaurant or wherever they were and order for her and take it out to the bus so that she could eat. I mean, that's, that is unsurprising to me, but yeah, it's just a classic, another case of... It's just, it's, it, it's almost, you know, it's, it's at the stage where it's like, I hear stuff like that and that we read about all the time. And the fact is even, I mean, this was still going on, obviously still goes on in America where there's racism and across the globe, but, um, you know, stories like that, you just, I just can't comprehend how that could ever have been an accepted thing, really. I know, I know. Yeah, it's mad. Um, Yeah, heartbreaking. So, yeah, so by the time she was 30, she'd been married twice and she'd had numerous affairs with men and women. Ooh, she's really forward-thinking. Yeah, She was born in just the wrong time. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So, like... And this is what I really loved about her. So, so in 1946, she met a young singer called Marie Knight, who I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure she probably deserves an episode to herself. Um, but they recorded a song together called Up Above My Head. Um, so Marie Knight played percussion and piano. So between the two of them, they sort of had it all covered, like they had an entire band. Um, so you've got Rosetta Tharp on vocals and guitar, and then you've got Marie Knight on percussion and piano. Um, so even two women on the road together without any men to accompany them was a bit risky. Really risky for the time. I mean, back yeah. back then, back then. I mean, what, what what what's the year that this is happening? So 1946 is when they met. I mean, it was still at the the, the time, you know, the the KKK, and you literally just had to be near someone to qualify for being lynched you know it's not um, yeah it's not I mean, a safe ma- world to be in. not at all and and the music they would have been doing certainly was not necessarily an accepted thing so yeah yeah so not only were they two black women but they were two potentially like gay or you know bisexual yeah. n- not straight women basically um, so in certain circles, obviously, they could be open about that. But if it got out, it would obviously ruin their careers. Um, but then, unfortunately, their relationship ended when Marie's mum died. Um, but I think they, they still had a friendship throughout the rest mm-hmm. of Rosetta's life. So then this was really interesting as well. So less than a year later, after Marie and Rosetta uh, went separate ways, Rosetta staged her third wedding in Washington's Griffith Stadium. I don't know if you've heard about this. No. So it was an idea put forward by two promoters. So it was a gig and a wedding. And it was her wedding? Yeah, so it was her third wedding, which she agreed to, um, but she didn't have anyone to marry. So she agreed to this wedding at the Griffith Stadium, but she didn't know who she was going to marry. So it was a total PR stunt. Yeah, definitely. But eventually she found this guy called Russell Morrison, who eventually became her manager. 
um, and like 25,000 people turned up, brought wedding <laughs> gifts. It was like a proper showbiz wedding, like probably like the first showbiz wedding. Um, I don't know if there was anything before that. Probably um, not in, in the way of come to my wedding. I don't know who I'm getting married to. <laughs> well, exactly. Yet. Yeah. Um, I don't know of anything before that, but if anyone if anyone does, please let me know because <laughs> I've not read of anything that happened before that that was that was similar. Um, yeah. But then again, it became clear that Russell was living off her talent, um, and he was also two time in her. Um, everyone was fuming with him, basically. <laughs> <laughs> So then, yeah, so at this point, so like white musicians were just beginning to discover the complex rhythms and energy of gospel. Mm-hmm. So a lot of white people used to go and watch spiritual singers, and it's essentially what inspired rock and roll. So the way she performs, if you watch the documentary yeah. on YouTube, it is like watching a rock and roll performer. You can totally see why she's considered the godmother of rock and roll yeah. and where, you know, people like Elvis Presley got their ideas from. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely worth a watch. All the kids that grew up in America in the 40s and 50s knew her as a superstar. Yeah. Um, so all the rhythm and the instrumentation is all hers, really. They would have heard it from all of her records. But obviously, when rock and roll took off in the late 50s, all the idols were white men, not middle-aged black women. Yeah. So I kind of felt like I needed to talk about her because that's where all the, well, not primarily from her, but that's where a lot of it came from. Um, but yeah, so after that, she moved to Philadelphia and her career sort of went south for a little while until a guy from the Dixieland Hummingbirds gave her a call and they booked her to go on tour in Europe. And then British people saw her. She don't, that before then, they'd only seen like a white imitation of blues and gospel. But then she came along, stole the show. Um, in 1964, she was booked by Granada to perform in a folk blues and gospel special. I don't know if you've seen footage of this. No, I haven't. But it's one of her most famous performances. It was at a disused railway station in Manchester. And it was obviously, that's obviously a really unusual venue anyway. So the audience were on one side of the platform and the performers were on the other. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. Um, it's all on the documentary, definitely worth a watch. And she just stole the show, basically. It's it's fantastic. Um, yeah, so we're at the end of her life now. I'll just go through this very quickly because I'm aware that I've talked for quite a while. Yeah, so in 19... compared to Kerry, so don't worry. Ever not. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so in 1968, her mum died and this took a toll on her and she became increasingly depressed. Um, her last known recording, I think, was in Denmark in 1970. And she died three years later. Um, and I was very pleased to read that Marie Knight was there, her ex-lover, slash not lover, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> um, she took care of her makeup and how the fabrics looked, basically made it look fabulous. Yeah. Um, and then, this is, this is great, I like this bit. So in 2008, the governor of Pennsylvania declared that the 11th of January would be known as Sister Rosetta Tharp Day. So pop that one in your diaries, folks. That's cool. I didn't. I didn't know that. Eleventh of January. Um, yeah. So I just thought she was fascinating for so many reasons. She kind of crossed the line between sacred and secular music. Um, a black queer woman. Yeah. Who was a star. Just and a really nice quote from one of her friends from the documentary, which I'm going to say. Um, she would sing until you cried and then she would sing until you danced for joy. 
Oh, I thought that was bloody lovely, Angela. That is that is lovely. <laughs> that is lovely. I know I went a bit Radio Four then. You you did a little bit. But, but I forgive, I forgive <laughs> you if that. I feel like I need to start swearing and dirty this up a little bit. Just. To, yeah. But yeah, that that's pretty much all I've got on her. But I just thought it was such an interesting story, and I knew quite a lot about her anyway. But there was a lot I learned from that documentary, and yeah, she's just a fascinating woman. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, in, incredible talent, and her life is is incredible. How she from even a kid to where she ended up being this massive star, like the journey of that and all of the complexities around it. And still she became that big star is, is, is really incredible for that, for that time or any time really. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Apparently it was her guitar picking that was quite unusual, Mm. but as a keyboard player, I don't really know much about that, but yeah, apparently she had a quite a unique style. I mean, I respect, I would definitely say she was massively influential on, um, on a number of people, but as, as were a whole load of um, artists and performers from, from blues. And I think there's a lot of stories out there that, that site, you know, this is where rock and roll came from. But yeah. with with her, I I would actually say there, there's that's a valid a valid point. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a definite link there. I could, I don't think you could argue that that's not the case. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's you can hear it. It's so apparent. Yeah, it's so, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, she's great, and uh, yeah, definitely check out that documentary though. Well done, Grace. That was good. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Would you like a gold star? <laughs> if you don't mind, yes, please. <laughs> I'll pop one in the post. I think you can do a little thumbs up through Zoom. So if you don't can mind you? sending me one of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's it. Oh, the, the reactions. There you go. The reactions. Yeah, look at that. There you go. And uh, I'm going to clap my clap. hands. <laughs> Cheers, Angela. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't say I don't give you anything. No, I won't. Okay, so should we have a little bit more <laughs> new music? Yes, please. Yeah, okay. I am going to play you um, a song called Suck It Up by Cool Hearts Club. So I'll talk a little bit about them after you've heard it. So here you go.
Okay, so that was Suck It Up by um, Cruel Hearts Club. And if nice you want a choice, yeah, really good band. Yeah. really good yeah. band. I only recently discovered them through just scrolling through stuff on Spotify and clicking this and clicking that, and only to realise I think um, Roger from Kick Out the Jams actually put them on, or was it Benumu? I can't remember. And for those people that don't know. What the hell that is? I just mentioned. <laughs> Benumu. What is that? Benumu. It's, it's a music platform, but it's also run by a fantastic guy called Simon, who puts on like live music in Camden, and he's he's wonderful. Wonderful. I love Simon so much. Always involves a lot of alcohol with Simon. Yeah. Yes, he's brilliant. Anyway, so if you want to check out that band on social, you can go to Facebook and they're Cruel Hearts Club and they're the same on Twitter. And like I say, go to Spotify and do stream and like and share their stuff because it does make difference. But a little bit about the band. Um, So they say that it's blending everything from cheerleader chants to gnarly guitar work, infectious lyrics and a whole load of attitude. And I actually do think that's quite a fair, fair summing up. Yeah, of it, sounds of about it, right really. And what I didn't realise until, and I'm not going to read out their whole biography, which they did kindly send me, um, <gasps> but I didn't realise they were from Australia. Ah. So, yeah. Is that the first Australian band we've had on the uh, on the podcast? Yeah. Ah, yeah, cool. There you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's um, hailing, it says, Hailing from Australia, sisters Eddie, vocals and guitar, and Gita, vocals, guitar and simps, began their musical adventure by moving to London. So they are in London now, which is why they were at one of those um, ah, shows. But no, I, th- I think they're great. And, I, you know, I think the, the lyrics are really strong. The structures are there. Um, it, it kind of beefs up in the correct parts that it should do. And like, it's a fantastic production on that record. I, I really yeah. love it. Solid choice there, Angela. Yeah, and that's as... Well done. As uh, close to, you know, critiquing music as I'm ever going to get. <laughs> I liked mm. it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> right then, so who are you talking about today, please? Oh, well, you know, you know how I like myths, legends and, and all of that stuff. I, I was, I was going to do like David Bowie and then I thought it's too soon it's too soon to do like a, a big a big name I think I did I did one recently um and I kind of not that this isn't a big name but I just you know wanted to do something a bit different that maybe people hadn't heard of where you could say everyone in our generation yeah. um yeah fair enough Paulston fair enough well I'm yeah. trying to pick I'm trying to pick Ones that aren't so obvious. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's good. And also... Stories that you haven't heard a hundred times yes. before. But also, I learned, I learned um, quite a bit about this one. So, um, I am doing the tale of the tale. It's like it's a children's story. Oh. Um, the tale of Peter Rabbit. No, I'm doing the story of Robert Leroy Johnson. I'm really excited for this. Dun, 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 dun. There is a documentary that after I did this this research which was quite well let's say it wasn't extensive there was wikipedia and um three other articles which i've pretty much cut and pasted this stuff to together and then after i did all that um (laughs) today i I was just scrolling through documentaries on netflix i was like i need something else i'm gonna watch this tiger thing i will 
And then I thought, Devil in the Crossroads or Devil at the Crossroads, that rings a bell. There's a bloody documentary on Netflix about this. Oh, is that what that's about? I've seen that come up. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. um, So I watched a little bit of it today and, you know, it's got his grandson on it, which I think is incredible because all of the research and everything I did on this, um, which I'm kind of jumping ahead, aren't I? Because we don't know anything about this, but information on this person is really thin on the ground. Um, so, so you're to, in a position here to create the story from scratch, Angela. You can spin it however you want. Yeah, and then watch the do- watch the documentary, and then send me an email like corrections corner thing. <laughs> I think I think so. Anyway, so I'm going to just jump straight into this. So Robert Leroy Johnson was born on May eighth, nineteen eleven. He was an American blues singer, songwriter and musician. His landmark recordings in 1936 and 1937 display a combination of singing, guitar skills and songwriting talent that's influenced later generations of musicians. And what was nice in the documentary is that even you know, the likes of Keith Richards say that this person was, was of such great influence to them. It's um, w- weird how we mm. still have parallels in this episode between yeah. our two voices. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So he was born in a place called Hazelhurst in Mississippi and he died 27 years later on the 16th of August in 1938. So he's in the 27 Club? Yeah, he's in the 27 Club. Paula said she wanted to to cover that and I think she should. But I don't think think this person was on on her list. Um, So, I mean, life expectancy was, was pretty young back then. Yeah. Um, and and certainly for people of colour, black people back then, even more so for a number of of reasons, um, poverty, uh, the, the yeah, just there's a whole there's a whole list of things. But I mean, I looked, I actually did do a little fact checking because it was like, oh, you know, life expectancy was quite young back then. I thought, yeah, but twenty seven's really young, and actually, life expectancy in Missy 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 Missy. Mississippi in the 30s uh you you were doing really good the average age for a woman um was 62 and the average life expectancy for a man was 58 so I think I think it is fair to say that 27 is bloody young yeah it's half what he yeah what he's expecting yeah but anyway his his life I mean I think it was pretty pretty tragic from from quite an early age uh, but let's go back a bit so Robert's mother Julia had 10 children before Robert was born uh, all 10 were born in wedlock um, with a sharecropper husband called Charles Dodd uh, sorry one sec we are still recording I just had a panic that we were but it's like, oh my god <laughs> we have to reel out some new jokes <laughs> so obviously this was packed full of them um Anyway, so <laughs> Julia was probably about 40 years old when Robert was born and he was illegitimate. He's 40 years old? Yeah. yeah. Well, she had 10 kids. So, God. you know, I think she's allowed to be 40. To, but that is No, it's not that. It's not that. I just mean it would have been risk. I was going to... It's more that it would have been risky for a 40-year-old woman to give birth. Totally. Totally. Um, So Robert's father was a plantation worker called Noah Johnson. But, okay, so 
I totally just missed out a bit. So Charles Dodd, um, who was the father of of her children and was 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 married to Julia, um, he was actually run out of town by apparently by white farmers. And we say run out of town. When I dug into that, I was like, well, what does that mean, Wikipedia? Um, which Wikipedia didn't go into that. But then from reading articles, it was like basically the Ku Klux Klan. Um, oh, they, they wanted to lynch him. So he he left, leaving um, Julia and the children to fend for themselves. But you know, none of this stuff is is you know conclusive that that was that that's fact. He could have just left. But there are stories that of of there being it sounds something, legit, doesn't it? Something that happened. Um, so basically, Julia met someone else, but she was still married, so she didn't marry Noah. But she did have a child. And um, Charles Dodd, basically her husband, had moved to Memphis as a result of these of these problems that were going on in Hazelhurst with, with the landowners, as I mentioned. And Robert, which I thought was strange because that wasn't his dad, but Robert was sent to live with him when he was around three or four years old, um, which was a time that... Um, you know, well, well, essentially all of Dodd's children moved to Memphis, but I just thought that was a bit odd that he didn't stay with his mum, but there wasn't any sort of anything that was elaborated on that. Maybe she passed away or something. I don't mm. I don't know. Yeah, um, anyway, so Robert Johnson pretty much grew up in Memphis and he learned basic guitar skills from his brother and he was aged around sort of eight or nine at that point. And he moved back to Delta to live with his mum. Oh, no, so, okay. My notes, if I'd read them, again, would, would indicate <laughs> yeah. we've got the answer to the question. His mother was not dead um, because he moved back there. But she did have oh. a new husband called Dusty Willis. Dusty Willis? Yeah. So some fake news there from Bug Eye. Yep, some fake news there. There was some, some angry email again. <laughs> send an email. <laughs> you don't need to send it now because I corrected, corrected myself. <laughs> Um, but anyway, apparently his stepfather used to abuse him. Uh, they, they were quite a religious family and mm-hmm. worked the fields. They were farmers. But all Robert wanted to do was was play music. So his his stepfather would beat him pretty badly, actually, calling him lazy and, and just, you know, mm-hmm. just couldn't understand the difference. And, and I, I suppose because back then... Uh, for most people, the career option was the field or nothing mm-hmm. yeah. at that time in, in life. And But Johnson had his soul set on being free and he wanted to make music. The sharecroppers had no money to pay for music and so what musicians used to do was hitch a ride into cities, set up wherever they could and play all kinds of music just to get by. But word would spread, spread around about which of those buskers was good and then you would have um, basically clubs. And I did make a note of what those types of clubs were called. They were called Dukes back then. Dukes? Dukes. Okay, cool. I'm going to so make a little note of that. what I didn't do was look up, is that why jukeboxes are called jukeboxes? Oh, you know what? Funnily enough, when you said that, I thought, oh, is there a, is there a connection there? Possibly. But what I can So basically the, the, the best of of those people that were, were performing on the streets were invited to then play at Dukes. And Dukes were places where people of colour um, would go, drink, dance, hear music that was not being played in churches or, or anywhere else. And it was, 
you know that it was all very segregated back then as as you know but this was the place that they, that that people went out to and my fact that i did look up was do you know um where the term busk busker comes from are you asking me do i yeah. know where the term busker comes from well we'll have a long wait if i'm asking people to listen <laughs> listen asking people asking people who sure are listening to email in um, um and we'll answer it in a month's time no um do you know grace don't google it i can see your eyes moving it's like you're reading you're <laughs> no, cheating they're not you're cheating um no i don't i'm just trying to think if i can have a guess an educated guess but no i have absolutely no idea where the, the word comes from i'll tell you go on then the term busking was first noted in the english language around the middle 1860s in great britain the oh. verb to busk from the word busker comes from the spanish root word Buscar, with the meaning ah, to thought... seek. Oh, to seek. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 Is very it? interesting. Or is it not? Yeah, I find it interesting. I don't more... know if everyone else will, but I do. I'm more intrigued about the jukeboxing. I think we should make that a fact that that is where jukeboxing came it? from. You could Shall do. I Google it? You, you carry do... on talking. I'll carry I'm on. Gonna... You Google it and, and interrupt me Google rudely when you've got the answer. <laughs> I'm not sure if it is that, but let's have a look. Box. Come on, keep All talking, right. Angela. All right, okay. So, local legend has it that Robert Johnson, when he was 18 years old, fell in love with a 15 year old named Virginia Travis. They lied about their ages and got married. But Wikipedia tells it slightly different. Wikipedia says by the time Robert was 19, he got married to Virginia Travis on February 17th in 1929 in mississippi and she was 16 so there's some articles that say that he was 18 she was 15 wikipedia says slightly different i do love wikipedia and most of my research does come from wikipedia but i still always have to mention the fact that for a time margaret thatcher was listed on wikipedia as a fictional character yeah i'm sure she was so i do think sometimes it's not necessarily the whole truth on there. Well, she, she, to be fair, she was so awful. Yeah, I mean, she, she, yeah. you would think she was almost fictional, wouldn't you? Fortunately, she wasn't. Anyway, so Johnson was on the road trying to make some money for music. His wife um, was pregnant. She was eight and a half months pregnant. She went to her grandmother's and they, they the plan was that she was going to have the child there. He's going to make some money, but he's going to come back um, in time for the birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so Johnson made his way back to his wife as as planned, um, and this was in April 1930. But the the fact is, when he got home, he found out that she was dead. She died, and so the what child. Did she, what did she die of? Um, it was during childbirth. There was complications, oh. and she died, and so did the child. But when he got back, not only did he just find that out, which would be horrendous. But his wife and baby had already been buried. Oh, God. So, you know, I mean, could you imagine? I suppose, like, how, you know, if someone is living a kind of transient life of travelling to cities and busking, I mean, we don't have, like, you're not going to have, like, an address. Um, Mobile phones, obviously, didn't exist then. Um, And I've got no indication of how long he was gone but it must have obviously been for a few weeks if that had happened. Um, God. 
But yeah. Yeah, so, it's horrendous. So it was at this point he decided to dedicate his life to music. Um and he wasn't just he wasn't just satisfied as in travelling around and just making a living. He actually wanted to be a big star. Mm-hmm. Um so around nineteen thirty was when Sunhouse came to Delta and Sunhouse is considered by, you know, um many to be the most gifted Delta blues man of the time. Um, he lived in Robbinsville, which is when Robert first heard him play. So that's if you don't know Sunhouse is he, he was a, a famous, quite a famous musician. Um, yeah, and he was a massive, that. massive influence on Robert Johnson. Um, and in an interview, and it's a recorded interview that you can hear online. So I know that this isn't, I mean, he could have been making it up, but it's from his mouth. So I can cite it. Um <laughs> He so he recalled many years later that Robert Johnson, he blew a harmonica and he was pretty good at that, but he wanted to play guitar. It was from House and his friend Willie Brown that Robert learned. He would watch them play and when they took a break, he used to get one of their guitars and pick it up and, and try and, and, and write or like play something. And House noted that, you know, he really wasn't good. And people used to say it was such a racket. It was like a racket you'd never heard get that guitar away from that boy is what people used to say. <laughs> he's, he's making people crazy with it. He's awful. He can't play. He is the first punk. Yeah. That I've not read that in an article and I think everyone will have heard it first here. And I think that is a fair assessment. Is that, I think that's I fair. I think that is a fair assessment, Grace. He was the very first punk. Yeah. Maybe he was a great influence on Sid Vicious. No, doubt it. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so as I say, for those that don't know, um, Sun House or Eddie James House Jr., which was his actual name, was an American Delta blues singer and guitarist noted for his highly emotional style of singing and slide guitar playing. Emotional? Emotional. That's what, what it said. Hmm. I wonder what that means. Not my words, those of an article that I'll post a link to. <laughs> uh, but no, but I did actually go and have a listen to to um, to that stuff. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely include, you can actually, it's on Spotify, you can listen to it. So we'll definitely put it into a, a playlist and you can definitely hear. There's, there's an absolute rawness to it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I read about him, and I almost went down a tangent almost doing his story... Um, was that a lot of his lyrics, and what he even says is that at the time when people were singing about women in blues songs and it sounded like they were, you know, why do you treat me mean and, or, you know, are going to, you know, sounding quite aggressive. They weren't Mm -hmm. actually singing about women. They were singing about their masters, but Ah, they couldn't actually use their names. Yeah, so, so they would just be like woman or whatever and um yeah so that was interesting I had never read that anywhere before um, apparently he wasn't the only person who did that that was very common at the time for people to do to do that anyway so after people had said you're crazy you're rubbish you're awful apparently Johnson said I'll show you and (laughs) and disappears Um, and nobody know where he went (laughs) Um, probably on the road again. Probably. Good um, chance, isn't there? Good chance of that. <laughs> um, but anyway, nobody knew where he went. 
And um, he was actually gone for quite some time, to be fair. He was gone for about a year and a half. And when he comes back, the story goes, and I just love this. I think I think you need to picture this. So there's a duke. Which, yeah. Not an actual duke, like yeah. an army like, duke of Wellington type thing. But like, you know, as I said, bar called a duke. Yeah. yeah. And um, Sun House is playing. The doors open. And there is... Robert Leroy Johnson with his guitar. Oh, wow. And people are like, oh, the boy's back. And, and he walks in and he goes up to the stage and he asks, can I play? And they kind of smirk and they're like, okay, kids, you know, you, you can go you on can then. play. Go on then. Give it a go. Give it a whirl, Shell. Um, and strangely, they all noted, he had a Strix, a, a Strix, that's a really weird instrument. A six-string guitar rather than a seven-string guitar. And that was another thing I didn't know, that back then people tended to play a seven-string guitar rather than a six-string. Oh, did they? Was that yeah. the norm, was it? Seven mm. strings? Seven strings. So so, what, was... so what decade are we in now? We're, we're in the 30s still. We're in the 30s We're in the 30s still. The 30s oh, okay. still. So this is... Um, when is this? This is probably 1936? Okay. 35 or 36, uh, because he becomes really famous in 36. Yeah. But um, in Delta, Mississippi. And so it's, a, it's a roughly around that time. Um, yeah, so he walks up to the stage. He's got his six-string guitar. He starts to play, and the crowd go absolutely wild. He's playing so fast and in a style that they've they've just never heard before. Um, it you know it was almost like he was playing three guitars at once for the way that his fingers were like he was using yeah the top string as bass and then he had like his little finger doing slide and then he was hitting other notes with his other finger. it was like amazing mm-hmm. what he was doing um, even his you know it was something that that people had never heard before he was doing stuff that even his mentors couldn't do um, they'd never even heard this playing before but even when they were trying to work out how on earth you play that they just couldn't do it and these are really credible musicians at the top of their their game essentially um and this would earn him the label of one of the greatest blues guitarists of all time and the person who set the template for rock and roll here we go again here we go again you know with with that and i think I don't. I don't think that it was any one person. No, of course not. That, but that if you that. add all the, but yeah. it definitely isn't. It definitely isn't white. I no. think is oh, what God, the. No. No. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. what t- the takeaway from this episode definitely wasn't a white thing. Uh, no, and I think I think people people sort of knew that, and I still think that happens today. Like you know, I, I won't get into the whole grime and new punk movement stuff, but um, <laughs> that, that we'll save that for another. Maybe we'll do that as a. De- a debate with um we've had some interest from people who do music podcasts that critique music really good podcasts um yeah who who'd like to come on the show and maybe they're just going to come on and, and critique us i don't know but um <laughs> no but it'd be really interesting to have that kind of debate with them really yeah and i'll yeah, just say stuff to wind wind them up <laughs> No, it's really it's really interesting. Again, that there's yeah. this connection here between yeah. both artists that we're talking about. And yeah. we're both making the same argument, essentially, mm. aren't we? Yeah, of course, of course. Because also, um, so 
there, there's the religion thing that comes mm-hmm. into this as Gospel. well because yeah absolutely i mean it was a massively dangerous time for people to be living because okay so on the one side you've got the the white supremacist people who the Ku Klux like people lynching you for as i say so much as walk past someone in a street and that's insulting yeah. right but yeah. then you've also got um majority of people being christian mm-hmm. um of a christian faith and blues was the devil's music yeah. so even even within the black community you know yeah. not everyone was was supportive of of this of this music they weren't it was it was most a lot of people were just living double lives of going to these duke places it wasn't like an accepted thing it wasn't like a publicized place well no that's the that, same with Rosetta yeah. Tharp isn't it like yeah. on the one hand she was performing in church and on the other hand she was performing in these nightclubs in New York mm-hmm. like you say it's a double life isn't it yeah I mean he before I get on to the the legend bit but I mean he he met an, another woman who he wanted to marry but this this girl's father just would not allow it to happen because he was a pastor, I think he was anyway, or they were just really religious. And it was the case that, you know, no no daughter of his would, would marry um the devil, essentially, mm-hmm. because of yeah. the music that he that he played. Um so anyway, the legend is he obviously disappeared for some time. And I asked people to actually look up hoodoo, which in Mississippi was was a, a big a big thing, and it was it was the um, I want to say voodoo. It's not voodoo, but it's it is like this kind of you know people would have herbs and things in bags. It was like a protective thing to ward away evil spirits and and all sorts of people putting curses on each other and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, there's some references in Johnson's songs to to this. Hoodoo um, is that called? Hoodoo, yeah. Let's have a look. Keep talking, sorry. So you can, you can look up a description of it because I've done a terrible job explaining <laughs> what this is. Maybe we should have just done a joint story together. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking. It's, it's interesting. So yeah. you, you finished my research where I'm being... Um, that, the reason why I mentioned that was I just Traditional saw Traditional African-American spirituality. Ah, there you go. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Because I, I would have done a bit more research into that, but literally half an hour before we did this when I was like watching the documentary that I just discovered they mentioned that I was like what what's it I just I just don't have time to to include that but anyway so the legend is he went to the crossroads and the crossroads do feature in hoodoo um, right where you know some sort of spiritual being will appear to you okay that's as much as I know anyway so he went to crossroads he got down on his knees and he handed his guitar to the devil, who said, once you receive this guitar back, son. Okay, I added in the son. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I don't know how the <laughs> devil speaks, do I really? Um, you know, once you receive this guitar, your soul is mine. Essentially. Right. Faustian pact. Mm, there you go. Um, and I mean, the thing is, people thought that there was no way he could have gone from being really shit at playing guitar to go away for like a year and come back and be like the greatest guitarist that has ever lived like that's impossible to do that in a year um so logically or illogically 
um, they came to the conclusion that he must have done something. I think this is more of a race thing than he, anything else. I think they've had to try and come up with some reason as it, to why. He's um well this this was always counterparts as well. Like, you know, this is even, you know, um other musicians that would play with him is in you know, he's obviously done something. He's like sold his soul to the devil. No one can be that good. In a year. In a year. I mean to be honest, it is it is pretty pretty amazing. But the thing is was he actually ever really shit or was he just like finding his own style? I was going to say, I, I think it? it's more to do with everyone thinking he was shit in the first place. Yeah, I to think be honest so as with well. you. I think so. But, um, you know, people people thought that he'd gotten too good too fast, so he must have done something. And even his lyrics played into this. Um, he wrote things like, I've been to hell, um me and the devil walk side by side. But I suppose what you have to remember is he lost his wife and his child and just hit the road and was gone. He went to yeah. a really dark place personally. Yeah. And, you know, through everyone laughing at him, you know, and he was like, you know, you'll be so... I just went off and just absolutely focused on music. I think it's more a case of he didn't have anything else to focus on for a year and he just studied and studied and studied but he had a natural gift yeah i don't think you can get that good through not having a gift no but i don't think that gift was from the devil no it's a combination of factors isn't evil. it <laughs> no i think that he probably had always had the talent he just yeah. tapped into it within that year but grace you know ultimately if you do a deal with the devil yeah Oh, he'll want he'll want pan back, won't he? Of course he will. Yeah. Of course he will. So what? go on. Johnson died on August the sixteenth in nineteen thirty eight at the age of twenty seven, near Greenwood, Mississippi, um, and he died of unknown causes. His death was not not reported publicly. He merely disappeared from the historical record, and it was not until almost thirty years later when Gail Dean. Um, Ward, Ward Low, um, a Mississippi-based musicologist researching his life, found his death certificate, which listed only the date and location and no official cause of death. No formal autopsy was done. As a dead black man found by the side of a road near a farm, they only ever do like a sort of pro forma examination, and that was what was done and was on file. Um, and there was no immediate cause of death. Um, but it is likely that he had um, congenital syphilis and it was suspected later by medical professions that that may have been a contributing factor to his death. However, 30 years of local legend and oral tradition had, like the rest of his life story, built a legend which has filled in the gaps of of, of the history. And in that documentary, because it starts off the, you know, they found out about him through this birth certificate and his, that was his parents and they traced it back. They found his grandson and then there was obviously stories that had been told mm. about um, his his grandson. Or his, yeah, it would have, yeah, his grandson, it would have been, yeah. Um, and, and all sorts of things. So, you know, that's, that's where we get a lot of stories from and, and some of the um, audio recordings um, that some of the artists have done that, that mention him and cite him. And obviously those recordings do exist. I mean, he only created 29 songs in his short career. I mean, you have to remember it was from 
1936 to 1937, he had... 29 songs is a lot. In in a year, yeah. In a year, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. I was like, it was only 29. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, it's, but, a, it's a lot. But I suppose it's a case of to have only created 29 songs that are considered masterpieces. You know, normally artists write a lot of shit and they have like, you know, an album... Yeah. Three good songs. To come fillers. up with consistently, you know, good material yeah. within a year, 29 mm. times. 29 songs he recorded with the American recording company. So he had a record deal. So this stuff is down, so it's not lost. But, you know, one of the weird things is also that, you know, that just adds to the legend is, you know, him sort of disappearing off the record books. But there are only two photographs of him in existence that we know of so you'll find you can find them on on google images quite quite easily but um but there is there is some some other stuff about this and i will end off really soon <laughs> go on um but you know i always have to have a bit of mystery and go true on crime. no i'm enjoying myself crime to it. i'm enjoying myself was robert johnson murdered was he murdered yeah. by the devil yeah, so, no, 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 no. Oh. Um, so there's a lot of hearsay as to precisely how he died, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got the syphilis thing. Um, yeah. But it's believed that, that Robert was playing a duke attached to the Three Forks store near Greenwood. According to David Honeyboy Edwards, I don't know who that was, is even, because I cut and paste this from an article, couldn't bother to look him up. Um <laughs> So according to him, according to Honeyboy, he was poisoned at the store. He got oh. so sick that he had to be taken to Three Miles in Greenwood where he died. The legend is that Robert had an affair with the wife of the owner of the Three Forks and it was him that poisoned Roberts. Oh. Mm. Poisoned. Yeah. But through So that's research, the first. Huh? So that's the first conspiracy theory. Well, it's. I think it's the only one I have actually. I think. I oh, okay. I thought there was two. I, I thought. <laughs> but um, no, no. There's a, there's 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 other thoughts. So we've got the syphilis um, yeah. theory that it, it was that. Um, then there's the poisoning thing, which I yeah. quite like. Not that it's yeah. nice to poison people, but I just quite like there to be a. It's a good story, isn't a, it? A bit of a story to it. Um, but then, according to a doctor. It is possible that he had an aneurysm. I'd go with the doctor, to be caused fair. Caused by syphilis and his love of drinking moonshine. Oh, my God, moonshine. Mm. Yeah, that'll yeah. kill you. Yeah, yeah, I had exactly. one night on moonshine. Never, haven't touched it since. But it was I also... can believe that one, <laughs> based on my own personal experiences. But something else that was noted about him was he was a womaniser who liked to drink and only really cared about his music. Although, to be honest... It's loads of them. There's there's loads of them, but also there is so much of this story that's like, what is true and what isn't? You know, you can just pick and choose. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure book. You could just go down... Yeah, you pick the end. Mini, yeah. Um, but the thing is, so just where he's buried is just um, a little bit confusing, um, and it's just as confusing as to how he died. There are three headstones erected in separate cemeteries around Greenwood. One has a headstone erected by Sony Music, cashing in, although yeah. not really, are they? They're charging people to go and look at it. Um, 
Another location is a headstone paid for by the members of ZZ Top. Really? Random. Um, in the summer of 2000, an 85-year-old lady called Rosie Erksridge said that her husband helped to bury Johnson in a graveyard about three miles from Three Forks, and this now had a headstone placed in the graveyard too. So there's there's three sides. Yeah. Um, two of which I think are just bloody memorial stones, surely. But um, yeah, that's strange. When I say memorial it? stones, I mean, I mean like a connection. Huh? What's the I don't ZZ? Know. Ta- I don't know. Maybe you could Google it. Oh, all right. And help me with my quite patchy <laughs> research this week. But well, it's um, easy talk. But yeah, when I say memorial stone, I mean obviously that's what a headstone is anyway. But I mean, as in you know, like a plaque to commemorate someone doesn't necessarily need to be no. buried. But no. the fact that I suppose they're headstones in places would would indicate that that's a burial site. But yeah, three burial sites. Oh, that's really interesting. That's that's a really good story. That so, one, Angela. I'm intrigued. I feel like I want to know more about this. So what's the documentary called on Netflix? The documentary is called Devil at the Crossroads. And it's not very long. So for those people with a short attention span, you only need to commit to one episode. And it's about 45 minutes, I think. Um, But, I mean, I I started watching it. I haven't watched the whole thing. But it was was really interesting. And it's just that incredible story of how someone can have such a legend built around them yeah. through, you know, just hearsay, like nothing factual, but also the fact that he was allowed to disappear for a really long time. From like, yeah, I wonder what happened there. There must be a way that we can find this out. I'm going to dig deeper. You, you do I'm going to dig deeper into this. And next time we record an episode, I'm going to have some answers for you. Are you? Are you guys? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm digging into this. Good. I've, I I really liked it. I really liked it. No, oh, it's it sounded great. really um like I was from the West Country. Then I really liked it. <laughs> no, I liked great. it. I um yeah, I'm really glad that again we've both come up with a story that's uh, quite yeah, similar. Exactly. I was going to go into um other people that apparently sold their souls to the devil, but then. I just got sucked into this whole... There's this whole thing about Jay-Z and something oh, about really? Katy Perry. And I'm like, oh, fuck Let off. Let me Google. Uh, celebrities who sold their soul to the devil. Mm-hmm. I bet there's loads. It's a classic thing, isn't it? It's a... Yep. Have a look. Satan's Children. Oh, celebrities that sounds like a good who... article. Look at this. Amazon. Oh, no. Deal <laughs> with the devil. No, that's just about the... Oh, you know, I don't want to read a book. Like, that's too no. much commitment. Uh, celebrities who have sold their souls for fame. There's an... Is this a book? Look at this. It's called Satan's Children. Celebrities who have sold their souls for fame. You can get it on Amazon. It's, there's a whole book. There's enough people. Yeah. This is obviously a really common problem. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking at the jukebox thing that we talked about yeah. earlier. Yep. So the word jukebox came into use in the United States in the 1940s, mm-hmm. apparently derived from the familiar usage, duke joint. 
So yes. is that anything yes, to do that's, with what yes, you that's were it. About? Yeah, yeah, they call them dukes, but they, that's, yeah, duke joint. Yeah. So duke joint is the vernacular term for an informal establishment featuring music, dancing, gambling and drinking, Yay. primarily operated by African-Americans in the southeastern US. A duke joint may be called a barrel house. Oh, well done. There we go. Look at that. Between us, Grace, Bar- we had a oh, really good story. Barrel well house done. blues. Yeah. Oh. Oh my god! I've just thought. Is that? Let me let me Google. Make sure well, that I'm a. It's gonna a, be. I mean, house blues. I think we should do a whole yeah, episode Barrel where we just Google blues. things and see where we end up. That is. Look at yes, that. Good. I like the uh, smile on your face, Grace. I feel. I'm like really. You've, I'm really happy really with that. Come away with something today. I know. I feel, I'm chuffed about that. But um, yeah. So if you've liked what you've heard. Um, this evening what an idiot no I'm joking um, now if you like what you've heard please do hit that big old subscribe button on whichever streaming platform you're using or give us a rating above one preferably yeah that'll be um, that would be good and actually just give us a shout out on social and, and tag us we're trying to think of a way to reward people who who do that with something meaningful we, yeah. you won't be selling your soul put it that way so no, um, we'll figure it out yeah we'll figure it out but if you have a story that you want us to cover um then please do drop us an email at uh rock pop rambles at gmail.com mm-hmm. and if you have a band you want to recommend you can email us at the same address uh you've got any corrections send them there got anything you want to just say in general then you know you can you can come and message us there. There's one thing I do want to to say, and I might I should have probably said this at the start of the um, of the podcast. And I'm just literally logging in to so we we distribute our podcast through Acast, who are fantastic, and I'd give them a round of applause right now, but I'm scared that I'll just create feedback, so I won't do that. <laughs> but um, I was absolutely shocked, and I mentioned this briefly to Kerry, and after that, I on the last episode I mentioned it, and then I decided to go back and take another look. But we've gone global, Gracie. We've gone global? Yeah. Tell me so more, Angela. We've got people listening in, and I, I, want, I want you to, I want these people that, obviously I'm not reading out people's names because I don't have them, but I'd love listeners from these countries to, to get in touch. Um so the United States, Mexico, Ireland, that was my Ireland. Irish accent, that wasn't really an Irish accent, um, right. Luxembourg, Germany, Ooh. United Arab Emirates, France, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Cyprus, Canada, Brazil, this is a, this Sweden, is absolutely and amazing. Japan. Japan? Japan. No. Japan, no. Like the, map, the little map. Is starting to light up. <laughs> That's brilliant. All across, all across that, the board. I'm really, I'm really pleased with that. Bloody shocked. I'm blown and, away. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, honestly, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank um, you. I don't know people in, in, in those places. Well, in some of them I do, but um, I know they wouldn't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's great to see that, that people are picking up on this. So, um Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, that's um, made my night, that has. Yeah. That's so, brilliant. So, so I suppose, do, do we have anything else to say? Um, 
Stay safe. Don't get murdered. This is another podcast. Don't this get is, murdered. Um, yeah, this is stay. Was it stay? Oh no, stay sexy and don't get murdered. That's um, my favourite murder podcast. We're not them. They're the really successful podcast. We're the um, yeah, you the one, them, the one you? in the shadow. <laughs> My favourite podcast ever, apart from this, obviously, yeah. is The Guilty Feminist. So I think everyone Very good. needs to listen to that. Very listen. good. So my so podcast tips, my favourite murder for awesome true crime, yeah. uh, comedy, and The Guilty Feminist. And I've listened to that too, Grace, so I'm like, you put me onto that. Yeah, it's really brilliant. Good. So I guess I guess without that, also, bug eye, sorry, I keep saying, it's, it's like, you know, I'm just the friend that doesn't leave, that you want them to leave your house at the end of the night and they're still there um been around mine till about three four o'clock in the morning so yeah that is exactly what you like but yes one more thing we do have a band other than just talking about music called bug eye and We've just put out a new single that, that came out on Friday, actually, on the 24th of April. It's called When the Lights Go Out. So, um, yeah, if if you want to hear some of our music, then you can. You can. Yeah. The end, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> over and out. <laughs>